Good morning, City Light. Good to see you guys. I love getting to follow Jesus with all of you guys, and I love getting to follow Jesus with our staff team around here as well. If you don't mind, maybe I can just brag on our team a little bit. All of our leaders, like from City Light kids to city groups, from women to men, from young to not so young, they're this awesome combination of like freakishly gifted yet honestly humble. For example, Nady, who runs our City Light Kids on Sunday mornings, like Nady could write theology books, and she's the editor for the Omaha Moms blog, but you probably would never know that. Instead, Nady just wipes all of our kids' snotty noses and loves to serve us. Or uh, Justin Choi, who helps lead our college ministry, and he's the one giving hugs to you as you walk in on Sundays. Uh, Justin, literally, he spends like two to four hours every day just reading his Bible, digging into the Word and being affected by what Jesus says there, but he would never brag about that. Instead, he turns that knowledge into service by teaching college students and setting up chairs and cleaning our building and dispensing encouragement like it's old school Pez candy, you know? Like, I love our staff team. Uh, A few weeks ago, Justin was on this kick where he kept trying to riddle our team. You know those like brain teasers or riddles and like they're kind of bouncing around the internet and there's a viral video of someone who doesn't get it and we all laugh at him or her. Those like riddles that make you go, oh, I did not see that coming or it was hidden right there in plain sight. Those riddles, those brain teasers. And so here was Justin's riddle. I'll try it out on you. What does Y-E-S spell? What does Y-E-S spell? What does Y-E-S spell? What does E-Y-E-S spell? Ah, you guys heard this riddle. It's tricky, right? It's supposed to be like E-S, I-S, like is it a Spanish word? And we were all like, we don't know. And then Justin's finding like E-Y-E-S spells eyes. It was hidden right there in plain sound. Brain teasers, man, they mess with your mind, don't you? Don't they? It's like they show you this twist going on in your brain where you're so conditioned to think one way that you don't even know how to think the other way. It's like you've worn down one pathway in your mind so much that you can't see the other pathway close by. Well, this morning in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something that made me go, I didn't see that coming. And probably you didn't see it coming either. In fact, even though Jesus said it so plainly and Whitney just read it accurately, chances are we heard it differently. It's hidden in plain sight. It's hidden in plain sound. But before we get there, let me just kind of set the stage for us a little bit. We've been, as a church, tracking through Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is kind of Jesus' manifesto on his kingdom, what life is like in his kingdom. And you guys probably remember some of the things we've talked about. Life in Jesus' kingdom is blessed. It's a flavorful and a bright life. It's a life lived from the heart, and it's about generosity and giving and prayer and fasting. It's a life where our king takes care of us, and we don't have to judge others, and we can ask him for whatever he wants and trust that he will provide for us. 
You could maybe sum it up actually using Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 12, where he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This has famously been called the golden rule, and chances are you've heard it. It's really a summary of Jesus' sermon so far. Like in all of his descriptions of his kingdom, Jesus is saying it's about relationships. It's about your heart, not some hoops that you have to jump through. It's about love, not about legalism. As you would want others to do to you, so do to them. That is Jesus' summary of his kingdom. Now, Jesus is, he's kind of bringing his sermon to a close. And he turns a corner and he actually starts inviting us into his kingdom. Like thus far, the sermon has been the trailer. It's been the advertisement. Now he's given us like the closing sales pitch, the here's how you sign up for my kingdom. And Jesus lets us know how to enter his kingdom. And early on, verse 21, Jesus very plainly and very bluntly says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I were Jesus's PR agent, I'd probably pull him aside at this point and say, um, Jesus, that's not the best recruiting method. Maybe you could be a little nicer, a little more inclusive, but I'm not Jesus's PR agent. So we're just going to let Jesus' words stand for themselves and trust what he has to say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then comes the brain teaser, the yes moment, the I didn't see that coming. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I think, church, like it's pretty obvious to us that these Lord, Lord guys, they're fake, right? Like just from knowing what Jesus is saying here and how he talks about them, we know they're, they're fake. We can read between the lines and call their bluff. They're using this Lord, Lord line like it was a password to prosperity, like it was some secret key to the kingdom. And I bet in our minds, we're all picturing these Lord, Lord liars wearing bright white suits with lots of hairspray and a scrolling 1-800 number along the screen saying, if you'll just mail in 29, 9 to 5 before the end of their sermon, they'll send you two and a half ounces of holy water from their sweat rag, right? Like, that's how we picture these guys. We see through their sham. We see through it, and so does Jesus. But it's Jesus' response, it's Jesus' words to them that are the shocker, the brain teaser. Verse 23. And then will I declare to them, you never knew me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's not what he said, is it? He didn't say, you never knew me. I mean, that's what we think he would say. Depart from me, you never trusted me. Depart from me, you never obeyed me. Depart from me, you never loved 
me. And let's just acknowledge, guys, that Jesus' choice of words here is a huge deal. I mean, this is Jesus on his throne on judgment day prohibiting these guys from entering into his kingdom. This isn't like getting kicked out of a restaurant for wearing the wrong clothes or the bouncer keeping the drunk guy out of the club. I mean, this is Jesus telling these guys they cannot enter into his kingdom. So his reason for that is a big deal. It's an eternal deal. It's a heaven versus hell sort of deal. And really, Jesus' words here reveal the key to get into the kingdom. Jesus' words are going to reveal the real root of our foundation with God, the real foundation of our eternal relationship with God. If we know why Jesus didn't let these fakes into the kingdom of heaven, then we can also know why anyone, whether it's you or me or he or she, why anyone does get into the kingdom of heaven. And the reason Jesus rejects these fakes isn't because they didn't obey him or they didn't pray enough or they didn't do enough good works or they didn't get baptized or they didn't go to church enough or they weren't nice enough. Instead, what was Jesus's reason? How did he put it? Verse 23, for real. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Being known. Nothing is more beautiful yet terrifying. Being known, it's beautiful, right? We all want to be known. None of us wants to be anonymous or forgotten or left alone. We want to be known, but it's also terrifying because there's stuff in here that we want to keep hidden. Lies that we believe or sins that we savor or abuses that we've suffered, these thoughts that we think, these actions that we've done, we want to keep them hidden. Yet Jesus just said that the eternal foundation of our relationship with him is him knowing us. Him knowing us. I've shared this story with our church before, but I think it's helpful here as well. In year seven of my marriage, the proverbial poop hit the fan, if you don't mind me saying it that way. Um, for seven years in our marriage, I tried so hard to be a good husband. For seven years, I, like, I put on a show for God so that I could say, see, I'm a good man. See, I, I'm a good husband. It's like I had this measuring stick called good husband. And I tried so hard to measure up to that measuring stick, but it was always too tall. I couldn't quite reach it, but I kept trying to measure up. Until one night, seven years into our marriage, after the kids had gone to bed, Whitney sat me down on our couch and she said to me, Doug, I love you. 
And because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to divorce you, but I wish I could. And I, I was speechless. I, I was just stunned silent. And then my silence turned into tears. My tears turned into prayers. Except this time my prayers weren't, God, help me be a better husband. God, help me be a better man. Instead, my prayers were, God, I can't do this. God, I can't be that husband. You see, what I didn't realize in those seven years, as I tried to measure up, as I tried to show myself in all of my attempts, I was actually creating distance between me and my wife. Instead of being known by her, I was presenting a false version of myself to her, a a polished and performing version to her. And because of that, that meant emotional distance and mental distance and sexual distance and relational distance. My measuring stick of being a good husband was the measure of distance between me and my wife. It pushed us apart. I wasn't known. I was hiding behind a measuring stick. And I think in our relationships with God, we all have our measuring sticks. Ways that we try to measure up. I don't know what your measuring stick might be. I mean, for these guys in Matthew chapter 7, it was prophesying and uh, casting demons out of people and doing many mighty works in his name. That was their measuring stick. That's how they put on a show for Jesus. Maybe your measuring stick is your money or your job or the way you treat people, or your church attendance, or church leadership, or trying to be that good spouse, or your kids behaving, or how many days you've been sober. We all have our measuring sticks, these shows that we put on for Jesus and for other people. I was waking up to this reality in my marriage, realizing that it was going on, and a few nights after that, conversation on the couch. Whitney and I got some time alone together. We were eating together at a Vietnamese restaurant. I remember the food wasn't that great. Like, it it wasn't Qdoba. And so, but that night, like, I just felt like an absolute failure, you know? And I remember saying to Whitney, hey, babe, I used to think that, like, I had something to bring to the table in our marriage. And I'm realizing I don't have anything except my sin. And I said, I'm sorry, Whitney. All I got is me. And she said to me, that's all I've ever wanted. It's not about what you bring to the table. I want you. And those words pierced me and healed me at the same time. They were beautiful and terrifying both. What kind of love is this that wants to know me, not get something from me? 
What kind of love is this that knows me when I'm at my worst and still loves me even then when I can't measure up? And as I'm sitting there silent in the Vietnamese restaurant and I'm thinking about being known, Whitney says to me, Doug, you know that's how Jesus loves you too, right? And that was my E-Y-E-S spells eyes moment. I saw it. The love of Jesus in plain sight. Jesus loves me in a way that he wants to know me, not get something from me. He wants to know me, not me put on a show for him. He wants to know me, not me perform for him. He knows me at my worst and loves me even then. And so City Light, maybe, maybe I can ask you the same question that Whitney asked me. You do know this is how Jesus loves you too. It's a love that wants to know you, not you perform for him. Wants to know you, not get something from you. It's a love that knows you even at your worst and loves you even then. You are known. Pastor Tim Keller says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are known, chosen by God, pursued by him, wooed by him. Jesus lived his perfect life with you in mind, and he died the death that you deserved, and he rose from the grave to come and get you and bring you to him. You are known, secure, and safe in him, held tight and loved deep in him. You are known, never forgotten, never rejected, always accepted in him. You are known like the darkest part of your life, the best day of your life, the songs you sing, the thoughts you think. You are known, the unique way that you walk, the unique way that you talk, the mask that you wear the real you behind the fake you that you present to everybody else, you are known. And that knowing is now and will always be the foundation of your relationship with God. It will never be about your performance. It will never be about your ability to measure up. It will always be about him knowing you through Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, like if, if our foundation of relationship with God is him knowing us, then what does that change? Like what does that do to us? What does that do to our lives? Does it have any bearing on our lives today? And I think it does. Actually, I think Jesus gives us three powerful ways that this changes our lives. First way this changes our lives, when we are known by him, we can suffer with him. 
when we know that the foundation of our relationship with God is him knowing us, not us performing for him, that empowers us to suffer with him. Look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus talks about this narrow gate, this hard way. Jesus knows that life in his kingdom, and really just life on this planet, period, just ain't easy. It will be difficult. We will face a thousand opportunities to choose the road more traveled, to turn away, to do our own thing, to put our mask back on, to hide the pain or minimize the pain or just flat out avoid the pain. But when we know that we are known thoroughly yet loved completely, that empowers us to suffer with the one who knows us. Yes, we chose the road less traveled, but on that road, we're following our forever Savior. Think about this. Jesus entered by the narrow gate, and now he has become our gate. Jesus chose the hard way to the cross, and now Jesus is our way. Jesus suffered through the cross alone, and now he is our faithful friend, even as we take up our cross and follow him. When we are known by him, that empowers us to suffer with him through the hard days, the tragic days, the difficult days. Second way that being known by Jesus changes us. When we are known by him, we can know the ones not with him. Okay, track with us. When, when we are known by him and we know that we are loved and it's not about us putting on a good show for him, that helps us spot the leaders, the, the people who are just putting on a good show. Look at verses, verse 15 and 16. And Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They're putting on a good show, right? They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They want to eat you. They want to use you. Okay, so we want to watch out for them. Beware of them. How do we do that, Jesus? Verse 16. You will recognize them. You will know them by their fruits. Skip down to verse 20 where Jesus says, Thus you will recognize them. You will know them by their fruits. Now, When I first read this, and maybe you're with me, like I thought, well, this isn't really that big of a deal. There's not really false prophets around anymore. And even if there are, we all know we're not going to drink the Kool-Aid or move into the gated compound with a stockpile of weapons anyway. But think about this. Our culture is awash. I mean, it is full of men and women who are vying for your attention who wants you to listen to them and follow them. Whether it's a YouTube celebrity or 
a popular preacher or a new web series or the corporation that pays your check or a really nice person at work who handed you a religious brochure. And we all ask the same questions like, who do I listen to? Who can I trust? And Jesus is telling us here to to remember how we have been known by him. In a way that it's not based on our performance, it's not based on us trying to measure up, Jesus isn't using us. And then to take that knowing and use it as a standard to measure the fruit of these leaders, false prophets, celebrities, famous people, that sort of thing, use that as a standard to measure their fruit. Is their fruit healthy or diseased? Are the people around them well-loved and thriving in their relationship with Jesus, or are they used and abused? Are we looking for grapes among thorn bushes? Maybe an example could help. In my hand, I hold an apple. At least I think we could all call this an apple, right? Like it's reddish, it's uh, shaped like an apple, and it certainly looks like an apple, right? But if I handed this apple to you, would you eat it? No. Why not? Because it's fake, right? Like it's hollow, it's plastic. It it might work well for a kid's cute play kitchen, but it's not going to give you the nourishment that you need. Now, how do you know that it's fake? Well, really, at the root, we know that it's fake because we've tasted the real thing, right? Like, we've seen a real apple. We've tasted a real apple. We know what the real thing is. Therefore, it's really easy to spot all the fakes. It becomes pretty obvious. Jesus is saying the same thing is true with him. When we've tasted the real thing and we know the real thing, that is Jesus knowing us, it's easy to spot the fakes, among the host of celebrities and teachers and popular preachers and false prophets who are out there. We can know the ones not with him because we've been known by him. That's the second way being known changes our lives. And then there's a third way that being known changes our lives. When we are known by him, we can do what pleases the Father. When we are known by Jesus, we're empowered to do what pleases the Father. Like when we experience this deep knowing of Jesus, that he loves us no matter what, that he loved us first, right? 1 John 4 says, in this is love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. When we are known like that by Jesus, we can't help but want to respond, how can I please you? How can I do what you desire and do what you want to do your pleasure? That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Doing the will of the Father, it's crucial, it is essential, and it is so crucial and essential that it must be empowered by, the, by Jesus knowing us and loving us. That's what gives us the power to do the will of the Father. It's like my response to Whitney that night after we finished our bland soup at the Vietnamese restaurant. When I knew 
that I was known by her, what was my response? I wanted to know her. How can I please her? Like, how, how can I love her with my whole heart? How can I love her with my whole mind? I wanted to discover her and find out what makes her happy and then go do that. This love is so good that I want to love her back. And the same is true in our relationship with God. When we know that we are known, like down deep, known by Jesus, we want to find out what pleases God and then go do that. It's what every son feels when he knows that he's completely loved by his dad. Right? He's like, oh, what can I do to make him happy? How can I please my father? And it's the same thing that Jesus, the son of God, did because he was known by his father. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. We'll close here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. So do you get the connection there? Jesus, the Son of God, was known by the Father. And as he was known, he has also known us. Moved toward us. Chosen, pursued, and loved us. So, my own know me. I know my own. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. To what extent, Jesus? To what extent do you know us? The end of verse 15 says... And I lay down my life for the sheep. So the father knew Jesus in a way that Jesus could intimately and deeply feel his love. And so now Jesus loves us deeply, intimately, lovingly. So how deep? All the way to the depths of our sin. How intimately? all the way from the inside out. How loving, even to the point of death, laying down his life for us, his sheep. So City Light, this morning, Jesus' invitation to you isn't for you to come and measure up. It's not for you to come and clean up your act or hide the bad parts of you. His invitation to you this morning isn't for you to come and be a more religious person. No, Jesus' invitation to you is to come and be known. Be known deeply all the way to the depths of your sin from the inside out to the point that he was willing to die to bring you into that relationship with him. Amen, church? Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's just spend time talking with God and asking him to work in us, to speak to us. Maybe where you are right now, you could just ask him to know you. King David, way back in the Old Testament, in Psalm 139, he prayed, search me, O God, and know me. Reveal any unclean, any sinful thing about me so that we can deal with it and have this open and free relationship. Oh, know me, God.
Search me, God. Maybe you could ask God to do that as well. Father, right now, I just pray that you would, by your sovereign hand, you would begin undoing the religion in our hearts. Would you take away these shows that we put on for you? Would you reveal to us the measuring sticks that we're hiding behind? The measuring sticks that are the distance between us and you? Would you give us the courage, the power, and the grace to be known by you instead of perform for you? Father, right now I pray for those who are in the midst of suffering or tragedy. Uh, They feel like their world is unraveling or there's just this sudden and new pain. And Father, I pray that they would know you haven't forgotten them in that time, that they are known by you, seen by you, that they are understood by you. And you, you you don't just watch from a distance, but you suffer with them you are near to them. May they draw near to you and say, know me, oh God, search me. Father, I pray for those who feel like they don't know who to follow, who to listen to, and they're surrounded by so many different voices vying for their attention. Would you remind them of how you've known them deeply and intimately, and you, you aren't in this to just use them and abuse them and move on past them but you're in this so that they will thrive in you. They will come alive in you and discover their life in your son, Jesus Christ. And may they listen to you and follow you. And then, Father, I just pray for those who right now they're wrestling with obeying you. There's a sin they're hanging on to, something they cherish and they don't want to let go of. And I pray right now that you would show them that you know them. Just like David prayed, search me and know me, reveal any unclean way. And some of them, when they asked you to know them, there's a sin that popped up. And they feel shame connected to that. They feel like there's no way you would ever love them. Father, would you remind them of Romans 5, 8, that you showed their love for them in this, that while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. Oh, you knew them. And you still know them. Would that give them the power to turn from that sin, to repent of that sin, confess it to you and chase after you and do what pleases you. Oh God, would you know us deeply and let us experience it. We pray in Jesus' good name.